instincts are fed when we're in nature. Yeah. We, we get back to our roots and we get back to our animal nature, mm-hmm. which is our instinctual nature. Yeah. And that's where we are in birth. That's hopefully where we go to. If we birth in our power, we're in an instinctual place. Mm-hmm. Because birth happens in our primal brain. Mm-hmm. Our forebrain, which is, I mean, not the forebrain, the, the, b- before, the old brain. <laughs> pre-brain. <laughs> pre-brain. That was, you know, before thinking, before verbal knowledge, before that neo-brain came into play, mm-hmm. there was an old brain. That's where our instincts still live. Mm-hmm. And if those instincts are intact, then they protect us and help us guide us through our lives. That's Catherine Lightfoot. And this is the Rain Studios Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rain Studios Podcast. I'm Rain Reed, and this is my podcast. I am delighted to share with you my conversation with Catherine Lightfoot. Um, She is an incredible human being, Um, definitely one who I would consider a crucial part of my tribe, Um, a wise elder to me, although she's not that much older than me, (laughs) Um, but a wise elder nonetheless. Um, She played a huge role in my pregnancy and in my birth and in my now journey as a birth worker and keeper of this sacred thing we called birth. Um, And so Catherine uh, came out to Eugene um, a couple of months back and led our midwifery study group through some incredible practices. Um, She taught us the wisdom of a village prenatal, which comes from her Mentor, her midwifery mentor, uh, the Sister Morningstar, um, and who is an incredible midwife and um, just force of a woman um, who hopefully will be on the show in May, fingers crossed with all this going on. Um, but anyway, so she came, Catherine came and led this um, incredible couple of days with our, with our study group. And so we learned to do a village prenatal, which is when women get together and sort of surround a um, pregnant mama. And it's about the mama. It's um, about the mama and the baby, but um, really holds space for them and, um, and, you know, provide nourishing food and share herbs for tea and... Um, sing songs and just um, and hold space and big big concepts in the village prenatal are to hear mama say what her ideal birth is and um, with a unanimous response or um, you know from from the group that simply says may it be so may it be so and um, and then the mama can share if she feels comfortable with us uh, any fears that she's having and um, again, the response in unison, simply, we hear you, or um, you are heard, or, you know, just an affirmation, a validation of the feelings. And it's not really a space to give um, a bunch of advice or anything like that, but we then shared um, 
power stories about birth if we have them and which we usually do in that circle um and and by that i mean stories of women who have birthed in power so who have taken on birth um and um them and their baby and and birthed without the intervention of others um and so it's really a very cool practice and um I do plan on having on the website uh, pretty soon a course, um, and the the how-to of a village prenatal will be on there, um, because this is something that we can echo out. You know, I don't need to be there. Catherine doesn't need to be there. Sister Morningstar doesn't need to be there. This can really just be women serving women um, and supporting each other in this um, amazing time. You know pregnancy right before um, the birth of their child and in this culture there's so much focus on the baby you know we have um, uh, baby showers and we have um, things that are you know all the gifts for the baby and everything is about the baby and while the baby is of the utmost importance and you know the the sort of cherry on top it is the mother's journey pregnancy is the is also a journey for the mom and then birth is also um, a rebirth of the mother and you really get to experience that when you um, when you go through natural childbirth when you don't have any uh, drugs or uh, interventions getting in the way so we talk a bit about all of this in the show um, I just want to say too that another practice that Catherine led us through was the four baskets and we will also get into this in the show and um, I will also be teaching um, a bit of a condensed version and uh, and giving a meditation uh, on the website on my website and through my course that I'm working on now um, also in this four baskets practice and this is um, well, Catherine's going to get into it, so I'm not going to get into it. But either way, I'm really excited, um, just delighted to share this conversation with you. Um, I love all of the podcasts, all of the conversations I've gotten to have with these incredible, incredible people. I feel so grateful and blessed to have been in their physical presence. Um, you know, today I'm recording this um, intro for Catherine, and it's the middle of this corona uh, virus situation and I know that we're all um, struggling through it um, in, in our own ways and and while I am trying my hardest to view it as an opportunity you know to pause and take time and and be grateful for the things that um, you know the few things that are in my control or that are even just in my sphere they're not even in my control but in my sphere you know my husband my child our dog our chickens our garden um and other than that you know there's there's just not much else and um so I reflect back to a time you know when I was stressed out about trying to um book all of my um appointments uh, to have these incredible conversations with people in person in real life in person and and now the fact that um you know i i'm doing interviews but they're having to be on the phone it's just it's so different not being able to sit and share energy and share space with another human Uh, so i know everybody's going through that right now just thought i would share that tidbit and um yeah, 
and you know it is hard it is hard to uh, smile sometimes at during this difficult situation with the coronavirus um, but I do hope that you all you know are taking some time to listen to podcasts and to read a book you've been meaning to read or to get back to a project that you started or start a project that you've always wanted to start when time was your handicap right when we have all of these things that we have to do like such long lists of things um and they're all important i'm not discrediting the importance but what's cool about this time is that we are being forced you know by by mother nature and by society to pump the brakes and really go deep and go within and um so i really hope that uh the podcast the rain studios podcast and and other podcasts um you know, you can find your tribe, you can find um, people who are speaking to you, you know, to to your inner deepest being and, and helping you to become your most authentic and creative self. Um, yeah, all right. Big long intro today. Forgive me for that one, but um, thank you for listening. And without further ado, the extraordinary Catherine Lightfoot. The Honorable Catherine Lightfoot. Honorable. The Honorable <laughs> Catherine Lightfoot. You are to me. You know, that's the thing. You are to me. And um, here we are in the maiden voyage of the Lightfoot Casita here <laughs> on our property in Eugene. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for such an epic two days with our ladies and um, the Four Baskets workshop and our very first pre pre village pre-prenatal we did <laughs> we did an amazing how to prenatal um and more to come on that yes. so i want to welcome you to the podcast and uh i want to thank you from the bottom of my heart um and i will do it every time i see you for the most part you're like one of the most incredible inspirational people to me that i've ever met in my life and I attribute uh, so much of my groundedness to you and to how you have opened doors for me and helped me close doors that mm-hmm. I needed to and just show me the light, the Lightfoot name. What, an, what a beautiful name you have and you're really, uh, you're really owning up to it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and anything else on the intro before before we go into your birth stories? You know, the name Lightfoot comes from my maternal ancestors. Mm-hmm. So it's a name that I reclaimed um, from my maternal line for myself. And when I the process of doing that, I realized, well, I, I no longer want to have my father's name. I no longer want to have my husband's name. Um, so I, I wanted to either make up a name or, you know, find my name. Mm-hmm. And in that process, I was also at the same time happened to be looking into my ancestry and to, to reclaim my great, great, great grandmother's name felt completely amazing. And at the same time, I was beginning my midwifery journey. Oh, wow. And to realize that that was my goal was to be able to walk lightly in birth mm-hmm. as lightly as possible um, to not disturb the normal natural process 
mm-hmm. it did it felt completely right and amazing I mean so. it's amazing it couldn't be more perfect mm-hmm. I, I was really I remember uh so in Hawaii which is where we met mm-hmm. um I remember being you know a little ball of fear that I was and like the first it was one of the first things I did was like all right I gotta find a midwife you know and there was a couple websites that popped up, but it was your name mm. that I was just like, well, there is no question. I have to meet this woman like this. It, it's so beautiful. It's so grounding and it's so, and it's, then it's like also very open. Like mm-hmm. you kind of just the word like, but oh. yes. mm, we're bringing light to the earth yeah. as women because this, the, what we are birthing through our babies is the new earth. Right. And so those little feet, <laughs> those little feet of light yeah. are bringing peace to our earth as long as we can allow it and, and usher it in. Yeah. And we're light beings. We are. We're literally made of light. We're made of electrolyte. Yeah. Oh, her. <laughs> Goodie's also made of light. <laughs> right on. So we could go on for eons about everything we talk about um and we do and we do and we do and that's what the past um, most amazing like um nearly 36 hours i guess that i've had with Catherine. but what we really want for the podcast listeners is your birth stories okay so here we go yes <laughs> i am the proud mother of two beautiful boys who are now actually men young men in their own right as they're taller than me and yes, so my first son is my guru for birth. Um, I wanted to have a natural birth. I knew I was going to have a natural birth. It wasn't a question. Um, but yet, at that time, almost 17 years ago, I did not realize that midwives were a thing. I thought it was a thing of the ancient past, an ancient word. And everybody I knew gave birth in the hospital. That's where I was going to go to. Mm-hmm. Midwifery was illegal at that time. And so off to the hospital I go. Yet, luckily, by the grace of goodness, I labored at home a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So um, most of my labor was there. And then feeling urges to push, we, we drive on in. And I was not prepared for the, the struggle to have, that, that having a natural birth in the hospital was going to be. And so I felt like I'm, you know, stop. They're trying to put IVs in my arm and I'm pushing them away and, um, you know, saying, just leave me alone and, you know, let me, let me finish this up. We're all, you know, we're almost done. <laughs> but as it was, I was pushing for a long time. However, now I've realized, that's what I was being told at the time. Mm-hmm. It was an hour and a half. I realized now this is not <laughs> that long of a time. But in the hospital at that time, they were like, well, you've been pushing a long time. Come on now, oh you know. God. So the doctor cut an episiotomy without me knowing, without my permission, I didn't even know. And then was getting ready to reach for the vacuum section. And I said, no. <laughs> so I could see and hear that she was doing that. I said, no, you know, gave it a few more pushes with all my might and maybe sure enough slid on out. Oh. So natural birth with an unwanted episiotomy, which is honestly considered a surgical birth. You know, yeah, and, um, and so, and so, and so in the middle 
Yeah, Jen, just like to clarify for myself and for listeners, because I actually have heard this story a few times. I hear something new every time. <laughs> it's amazing how that is. Mm-hmm. But so you're you're like on a bed mm-hmm. with feet in stirrups. Yes. And there was no verbal communication between you and the doctor that he was going to give you a snip. That right. was just... Wow. Okay. Yeah. Instrument table must have been now. I've seen lots of hospital births now. Yeah. So as a doula, because I was a doula before I became a midwife. So I have a a whole different perspective looking back now at what must have happened. Uh, Um, But, you know, the the surgical table with all of their instruments is usually just sitting right there mm -hmm. beside the doctor. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure, yeah, it was a female. She just reached over and grabbed it and cut it. Wow. Yes. And, of course, they well, cut episiotomies well, during a contraction. And so why? I'm sure that I was not, pre- you know, present. But, yeah. Why would they do that? She did that so that she could fit the vacuum suction on his head. She was oh. in her mind saying, I'm going to have to take this baby by vacuum. Wow. And so she just went ahead and cut it and was getting ready to do that. So she was going to place the vacuum suction on his head in between those two contractions, and then she was going to be done. She was tired of waiting. Wow. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I mean, the word permission just keeps like, yeah, like a marquee sign. It just keeps flashing in my head and like, mm-hmm. just know. It's so important that we talk to mamas and babies about what's happening or what, what we're planning to do or, you know, ask permission before we touch a mother or a baby in this field it's very very important right on so so there's that (laughs) (laughs) and now in between these two births they were Mm -hmm. about two and a half years apart Mm -hmm. um as is very common I learned and said well I don't want that again (laughs) so let's what else what are my other options and thank goodness I was ushered into a beautiful circle of women through a um, play date, mm. <laughs> play group, mm. right? So I've got my baby, I meet other women, oh, play group. Circles of women can change the world, yeah. and they do every day. Yeah. In this circle of women is a childbirth educator and a doula, or an aspiring doula, uh-huh. aspiring doula. They had all given birth recently as mm-hmm. well. We all had children about the same age, and... As they're asking me about my birth, and I, you know, say things that I wasn't happy about that happened, and they said, "What well, did you ever think about getting a midwife? Did you ever think about taking a natural childbirth class? And I'm going, oh my, I did not know yeah. that these were options. And this is why Sister Morningstar says, be that farmer's market right. midwife, right? Yes. Be the one just asking the question, oh, so you're having an out-of-home birth. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm not just to practice get people that to, one. Yeah. Have it roll off the tongue. And and realize, oh, there's other options. Mm-hmm. So that's what these women did for me. Oh, beautiful. And so the one aspiring doula said, well, I, I want to be a doula. I just took a weekend class. Can I? So I'm pregnant again, right? Are you pregnant again? I'm pregnant again. Got it. I have a two-year-old running around playing. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, did you, you know, would, would you think about having a doula this time? I said, yeah. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Sure. Come. You know, help me. Mm-hmm. And I needed support. A big, big reason I needed support was because somehow I was still had the same OB that I had in this pregnancy that I had the first time. Wow. 
And, and then they said, well, you know, come to this childbirth you know, education class. You're welcome if you'd like. And I said, sure. So I, I go. And then other women in that class had a midwife. And I was going, oh, midwife. And how, how big are you? How many weeks are you? Um, more than halfway through okay. my pregnancy. And so then I ask about that. Well, who, who's your midwife? What's your name? How do I get a hold of her? And so I'm ushered into the entire world of midwifery. Mm. Nice. Saved by the bell. <laughs> <laughs> and my second birth was empowered. And I had my doula present, my partner present, and my mom, and the midwife. Nice. And it was wonderful. And I'm realizing now that I've heard other stories about this midwife, that she respected me because she knew I came to her late in my pregnancy. And I'm saying, you know, it was very defensive when I came, you know, well, are you, you know, what about this? And what about I have my birth plan? And what do you think about this? And how about this? And she's like, that's what we do. This everything you're wanting is what we do all the time. I was like, oh, okay, okay. Mm. And the main thing is, my I didn't say this. My first son was taken away from me at birth. Our old story, right, was that he was taken from me at birth immediately. I didn't get to touch or hold him, you know, or see him until after they administered to him, right. cleaned him up, wrapped him up, whatever, weighed him, put goop in his eyes, measured him. Measured, I mean, just the stupidest thing. <laughs> And then I can hold it, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was very traumatizing for me and him, of course. And so this was my main thing when I'm talking to this midwife. I'm like, I want you to give me my baby at birth, you know, which of course now, I mean, God, to even have to ask for that mm. seems completely insane to me. Totally. Me too. And I completely forget that insane. that's like a normal thing. Yeah. And so anyway, when my second son was born, the world melted away. Yeah. It was a, um, the most magical moment. People in the room disappeared. And literally, they, they all just kind of, they kept the room dark for me because mm-hmm. I asked for that. My husband, partner, and I were there. Mike Philip caught the baby, caught Aww. the gifts. He was the first one to touch him. Yeah. And he just, you know, brings him up and puts him at my face, at my heart, at my breast. And nothing else in the world was there. It was n- nobody else was there. Nothing was there. Mm-hmm. And it felt like an eternity. Yeah. It really, really did. Mm. And it's, yeah, I want that for everybody. I want that for everybody, too. <laughs> every baby. Every, every mama. baby and every mama. Every family deserves that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so this is also my favorite part. The... So this is the eternity, minutes to then hours to then days. Can you describe for the listeners, when you have your home birth, what does it look like afterwards? Yeah. Well, ideally, it would look like <laughs> um, what your ideal is, what, what you want it to look like. Right? Mm-hmm. But, gosh, unlimited time. No separation of mama baby, you know, unless she wants that, you know, but after six hours, right? We're talking, so six hours, mama baby, that's it. Mm-hmm. Wrap them up like a little burrito in the bed. <laughs> Just let them be. And somebody's bringing them food. Mm-hmm. Someone's bringing them tea. 
Oh, can you do a little segue about your rice pudding? Sure. Yeah. This is a traditional Ayurvedic first. It's called Mama's First Meal. And, you know, traditional in Ayurveda, everything is warm. All the food is warm. So I love, I got this recipe, I don't remember where, from a book somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I love to bring the recipe to mamas at, you know, near the end of the pregnancy. Say, if you'd like to have this, you know, for your first meal after your birth, get the ingredients and have them on hand. Mm-hmm. And almost always they do. And when I arrive, um, if there's time, I start, even if there's not time, I go ahead and start that. Mm-hmm. So it's rice pudding. And it's like one cup of rice to 16 cups of water mm-hmm. in a big stock pan, you know? Mm-hmm. And you cook it for four to six hours. Mm-hmm. Slow, low, you know, slow and low and cook it, cook it. Put some cinnamon and ginger in there, um, a little salt. And like, that's about it. And then when, it, when it's cooked and you're going to serve it, then you can add ghee and honey or molasses, mm-hmm. things like that. Add it to it, stir it up, and then she eats it. So she can have a big old bowl right after birth and just, you know, it's warming and nourishing. You can go, like, right to the breast milk. You can, like, imagine it just, like, perfectly. Oh, amazing. Mm -hmm. So, awesome. Well, (laughs) I love both of those birth stories. And I do, I hear something new every time. Mm -hmm. I said this on the last podcast with uh, Catherine Clinton, with the good doctor. Uh, this podcast is selfish for me in a way like I want everybody to get to hear it but it's such an honor for me to get to spend this kind of one-on-one time with these humans that I hold to such esteem and just am in awe by and inspired by so yeah I mean just thank you for sharing the stories with me again and with the listeners you're welcome um so my love affair begins with Catherine on the big island of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And I would love for you to tell um, a bit about living off-grid and with your amazing sons, yeah, who were definitely young men when I met them. Mm-hmm. Um, and your phenomenal French chef of a husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, he's just as scrumptious as that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and the dog. And our beautiful little donkey. Yeah. Yes, we lived completely off-grid in an area of the east side of Hawaii that is off-grid. You know, there's no grid to be on. Right. Sounds <laughs> so great. lives off-grid. Yeah. Um, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Really, really wonderful. In fact, when we first drove down there to Puna, you know, there was... A, very much like you, you described when you were guys were driving, you know, here to Oregon. Mm-hmm. It was very much just like, okay, now this is where we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, it took me a while to realize later that the energy that feels so different there is that there's no lines through mm. the air, no power lines, no phone lines. Oh, no t- yeah. The grid is palpable and it's present and we don't realize it or we're not aware of it a lot of times because we we tune it it's it's always there and yeah. so we just tune it out we don't we're not present to that mm-hmm. but when it's not there you feel it yeah and it's um really awesome to be able to look up you know at the trees and not see the lines yeah going by um so that's amazing now living off grid is a challenge yeah <laughs> <laughs> as beautiful and wonderful it is it's also very challenging mm-hmm. in a good way mm-hmm. kind of like birth yeah 
and you feel that same sense of accomplishment and, and knowing that you're you're really doing something, you know, yes. when you're living that way. So yeah, we lived uh, we lived in a tent for about eight months. Remember the tent? Yeah, and it was a big tent. You know, oh, it, was it was a nice a, tent. It was nice. It was four. It was like canvas, right? No, it was tarp. It was tarp. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a carport. It's literally sold as a carport. Right. <laughs> but it has sides, mm-hmm. you know, walls, which is important there because of the wind and mm-hmm. the rain. Um, but for big people, you know, it was about a 10 by 20 tent. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine that. No floor, you know, it was just open ground that mm-hmm. we lived on at that time. And in fact, it was so important to us to just, we just wanted to dive right in and we wanted to grow our food and have, you know, everything sustainable that we went ahead and got our chickens or hatched some chickens during that time when we lived in the tent. So we lived with chickens in, the- in a tent <laughs> in Hawaii Amazing. because the chickens are, you know, they hatch in just 21 days and then all of a sudden they're growing and, and they felt like it was their home just as much as it was ours. Sure. And it was. So, oh my gosh. And so the first thing we built was a chicken coop. <laughs> <laughs> the chickens got their house first. They did. They got their house. And then we started building our little hale, mm-hmm. our house in Hawaii. Um, which we always teased that we also would have a blog and call it a little house on Hawaii. We never did. Isn't that cute? Like a <laughs> house on the prairie. Yes, that's so cute. So we started building. Now it's a very simple structure, which you can do really easily in Hawaii. But it can be, we learned, okay, we had no experience, no prior building experience at all. Really? I like, thought Phil was like no. Mr. Builder. Very handy around very, the house. Yeah. Yeah, very handy um, around cars and house, but really no training. Right, he's a chef. He's a chef. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no training in building or construction at mm-hmm. all. You know, he's, he's tinkered around with his grandpa and his dad on, you know, housing projects. Yeah. Um, but never from... Nothing from ground to finish project like that. Yeah, no experience. And the beautiful part of that, I love making sure I tell people that is like you can do this. Like we can do this. Yeah, people, we can all do this. We can build little tiny homes. Mm-hmm. You can figure it out. There are people to ask. There's YouTube. There are books at the library. Yeah. And so we did it without internet, without <laughs> you know a lot of these things mm-hmm. and so we tried to use as many natural materials as we could from the land and so we used okia trees mm-hmm. as our posts and you know philip cut them and we pulled them out of the jungle um using i don't know the, the, the machine is called it's not a machine it's like a ratchet like you literally like just have this rope around one mm-hmm. end and then you like have this yeah and it slowly starts coming out of the jungle and then we hooked it up to truck and drug it the rest of the way and then we have to debark those ohia trees i remember the debarking is that what we were doing that, well were, they mm-hmm. were erected but i think mm-hmm. that there was like maybe one that was still down that we got mm-hmm. that you guys explained how to do it that was mine and the kids job yeah yeah we debarked so cool. lots and lots of trees it's, it's hard work but it's fun yeah too and it gives it definitely gave the kids an aspect of really feeling a part of it although logan the older son is uh was vital in the whole process. You know, the four of us, it was just the four of us building this house. And to have another man on the way, you know, mm-hmm. you know, up and coming man who had some muscles stronger than me yeah. and taller, yeah. you know, definitely helpful. Definitely helpful. <laughs> Putting up those beams, you know, I was just going, whoa. Yeah. You guys are doing great. They are. are doing great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were driving, um, taking 
Catherine last night to Mountain Rose Herbs, oh, our so much favorite place in Eugene. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just, we were talking about mindfulness living and water consumption. Mm-hmm. And so can you tell us a little about the water consumption yes. that you guys... So true off-grid living is collecting your own water, you know, from the rain. So we did that. We collected water. Uh, we, had, we were started collecting water from our tent um, with a five-gallon bucket at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then when we had a larger roof because of the chicken coop, we got a 50-gallon barrel that the Noni factory down the hill from us mm-hmm. had because they bought in juice, you know, for their that they were making and so we we saw that and said hey 50 gallon can we buy one of those from you they said here take one so we got an empty bucket you know big 50 gallon bucket and was collecting water and at that point it's just dipping it out as you need it and using it Mm -hmm. and then as the house got built we progressed to a large uh, actually there's several little steps and we had like 150 gallon tank and then we finally had the 500 gallon tank wow and that was definitely enough for the amount of rainfall that we got on the wet side of Hawaii yeah that was plenty for our family it kept our needs and then we figured out we figured out how to pipe that in we had a sink and um, a shower mm-hmm. a little outdoor shower a little instant shower hot water shower mm-hmm. and on propane so, yes on propane mm-hmm. that was at that time we were hatching ideas for solar hot water right hadn't quite evolved to that yet so Yes, so 500 gallons, we, you know, would last us, I mean, could easily last a month or more, all four of us. Wow. So when, here's something interesting, when we first got there to Hawaii, we were like, we didn't have a way to catch too much water. We we had the five gallons off of a tarp, right? So it's like, (laughs) well, that's not going to last, we can do some dishes. And so there was a water spigot down the road, and so Mm -hmm. we went down, we were, we went to go buy some, uh, containers mm-hmm. and I was like how much how many should we buy they're like six gallon containers is two enough you know how many how often do we want to drive down and get this how much water do we need so we we google it we go to the library and google it how much water does an average person need a day the average American uses 80 to 100 gallons of water per day Google tells us and I wow. thought well we, there's no way we can haul that much water the average person average in American American uses 80 to 100 gallons of water per day. 80 to That's not how much they need. That's how much they use. Right. There is no, no estimate, no way of finding out how much you actually need. That was not right. a statistic that was available. Yeah. We had to figure that out. Wow. So we got two six-gallon containers, filled them up, and brought them up. That was enough for all. This is 12 gallons for four people in a day. Drinking, cooking, washing. Wow. Not clothes washing. We weren't there yet. Right. We just didn't do that. Yeah. Once a week. Rainwater. <laughs> yeah. At some point. In the you future. just go into the ocean for a little bit and you're like, I'm clean. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it would have been totally interesting to me just to realize how much we need, like what we can get by. Yeah. And then how much is actually being consumed. Mm-hmm. That's a huge difference. Such a huge difference. You know, three to four gallons per person versus 80 to 100 gallons per person. Most of that is to blame because of our um, appliances, mm. the showers, the toilets that just use so much water. Mm-hmm. Every flush, you know, you're flushing a few gallons away. So, yeah. um, so conventional lifestyle. So then, now we're back here. 
we moved back to uh, the Midwest, the heartland, just a few months ago. And we're renting a little house, and we get our first water bill. Philip's looking over it. Over 2,000 gallons we used in one month. Oh, he was so upset. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the mindfulness training. And so he says, boys, you know, all of us, family, family meeting. We call family meetings all the time. Family meeting. We all come together. Yeah, Dad, what's up? He shows us the bill. He says, what if I can, you know, how can I encourage us all to to get this number lower? If we can get underneath 2,000 gallons, because it was like 2,200, 2,300, I don't remember, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. If we can get underneath, make sure under 2,000, you know, just start being mindful and bringing that, even though it's so easy just to run that shower, Mm -hmm. you know, to flush that toilet. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, the boys were, he said, I'll I'll take you to the movies. This is a big deal for our family. Yeah. Take you to the movie theater. And they said, great. We're all in. We love that. It's a fun, fun treat. So we made a plan. What can we do? We got a little timer for the shower. So we had seven-minute showers. Mm-hmm. And um, the other big thing is, <laughs> this is okay to talk about. Yeah. We don't flush to pee. Oh, yeah. If it's low, yellow, 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 let, let it, it mellow. mellow. So we decided to <laughs> incorporate that. It's like, the best. It's one of the best island sayings. And it it's is. every island, really. really. Every island I've ever been to. It's, yeah, I mean, even if the rain is like, um, or like during a rainy season, it's, it's just Mm -hmm. like, why? 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 It's pee. It's, yeah. It can sit. Within the first 24 hours, pee doesn't smell. No. It starts to smell smell after 24 hours. So once a day, flush it. Yeah. That's so much more than after, how many, how many pees and how many people, you know, four people, at least three times a day. day. Yeah. I mean. That's a lot of flushes. Yeah. We reduced down to 1,600 gallons that month. Yay! Thank you. <laughs> the next month. So we blew, you know, we're like, woohoo! Mm-hmm. But the amazing thing, here's what I learned mm-hmm. from that, is that our water bill, the amount we paid, was about the same. It didn't make a difference at all. You know, barely a couple of dollars worth. A couple worth of dollars. Is all that we saved, even though we saved, what, 800, 900 gallons of water. And so then I realized that's our problem. Mm-hmm. Like as a society, if we want to motivate people to make a change or, or just help encourage conservation mm-hmm. of our precious, precious natural resources, we need to be charging an a, appropriate amount for them. Sure. So that we can all realize, so we can bring that mindfulness to it. You know what that reminds me of too? I have some friends that are from Germany and I, I just... They speak about the size of the trash can. Mm. So, this like the the trash can in Germany is a third of what the yes. average American trash can is, and it's the same. If if you have more than what's in that trash can, if you have an additional bag of trash, it's like exponentially more expensive. Oh, God. Yeah. So <laughs> so there's no one using like Ziplocs or, you know, the idea of something that's, that's just like a one-time use is, is unheard of mm-hmm. because you would have to pay for it mm-hmm. and you would have to pay a lot for it. Yeah. So if financial incentive, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's what we need. It's what we need. Makes sense. Yeah. Because it's also like, we well, you pay for it now, we can pay for it later. Right. And we ha- at least right now. Well, and unfortunately, it, somebody's paying for it, and unfortunately, right now it's the earth. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and that buck back. Yeah, that buck back is coming. Yeah. I mean, 
and you know sort of already here like if you look at um the the abacos the islands in the bahamas that just got hit by that cat five mm. i mean they've never experienced and they i've been there for multiple hurricanes over my lifetime mm-hmm. and you know i mean i think i think i was there for maybe definitely a cat three and it was it was exciting i mean it was it was a it was a force to be reckoned with and we had to like batten down hatches and you know make sure like you know storm windows up and major rigging on all the boats to make sure that they weren't but a cat five and it was like it was such a strong cat five i mean that's the earth Mm -hmm. bucking back Mm -hmm. that's like it's global warming it's or climate change whatever you know however you want to say it Mm -hmm. it's here and so we have a choice we have a choice to start you know get the timer the seven minute shower Mm -hmm. and have fun with it because Mm -hmm. it's still a choice when you look at south africa they have there was such a drought in south africa i don't know if it's still happening right now but over the last year where that you were having to go to a town center to shower or to get water like they cut water from people's houses Mm -hmm. and you had a two song limit Mm. that was how they tried to keep some morale up Mm -hmm. by making it not just about minutes it was about music you know Mm -hmm. two songs but like it became not a choice and so yeah one thing that I would just urge listeners to think about is do it while you have a choice yes and then bring it full circle same thing with birth Mm -hmm. like you have a choice right now to birth and power mm-hmm. and to get back to your instincts and do what your body knows how to do or we're looking at like pretty much as a species forfeiting the the instinctual knowledge to birth we are can you elaborate on that a little for us we're on the threshold of potentially evolving out of the ability to give birth naturally so says dr michelle odont right. who's a french obstetrician who has been studying this. So he calls his research foundation Primal Health, the Primal Health Foundation. And he talks a lot about the use of artificial Pitocin, which is the synthetic version of what our body creates, which is oxytocin when we're in giving birth. Mm -hmm. It is responsible for the contractions of the uterus that bring or expel the baby out of the body. Now, when artificial Pitocin is introduced into a female body, her body shuts down the oxytocin production. Mm. And so more and more Pitocin is needed in order to augment that birth to happen. Mm. The problem is, if it only had the action, if, if our oxytocin that we produce only had the action of a uterus, it probably wouldn't be. It's all right. You, you know, our body can do it or they can synthetically put it in, whatever. Same outcome's going to happen. Although there is <laughs> other things too. But the big deal is oxytocin does not only affect the uterus. It crosses the blood-brain barrier. So it crosses into the mother's brain. So she's, oxytocin is our love hormone. It's the exact same hormone that is responsible when you make love to another person. Or when you For men and women? For women and, and men on like, a smaller level. And they have oxytocin. They, they produce do, it. but it's a much, much smaller amount that they produce than women. Okay. So just like we all have kind of all those 
you know, we all have all the hormones. Right. We, but women have men testosterone. Have a lot of, yeah, yeah. Testosterone. Women, women have a lot of estrogen. So men produce some oxytocin, but we produce a lot more of it. Right. And the most by like, what's the ratio like throughout life and throughout orgasm and things like this will produce oxytocin but at, at birth, birth you're producing more oxytocin hopefully but on your own if you're right. doing it on your own than you are at any other time ever and it's like by a, like tenfold or something i don't know what that is but yeah, yeah I, I gotta imagine. find that number I we keep, should find that yeah so babies also are designed we are designed to give birth and to be, to be born in a flood of oxytocin our uterus and our baby's brains. So baby's brains at birth coated, saturated in oxytocin, which means it opens up their receptors for experiencing love and bonding. So being born that way and being, you know, in your mother's arms, looking at each other's eyes, we have an imprint, we have a bond, and we experience love with each other. And of course, that's physiologically, you know, protective for the ongoing of our species. Right. Um, but when we hear about um, this incidence of autism and ADHD, where a lot of times the, the kids can't even, you know, they have a problem with looking at people's in the eyes mm-hmm. or feeling touch or feeling that connection. I've heard, I heard a story recently where a mother was saying, uh, we were talking about co-sleeping. Mm-hmm. And the mother said, well, my baby prefers to sleep on his own in his crib. And so my first question was, how was he born? Mm-hmm. How was your birth with him? Mm-hmm. Sure enough, induction, pitocin, the whole thing. Yeah. It's no surprise then when you think about it. You know what's really interesting? I, so I was a cesarean baby mm-hmm. and um, in an incubator for a couple days because I had a heart murmur and, you know, some things but uh even the podcast but so ever since I've been a yoga teacher yeah please um eye contact was always really a difficult thing for me really and I'm really into it now like Mm -hmm. it's it's something that I consciously work on kind of like I was talking about earlier today too like I'm consciously working on drawing speaking and breathing from my heart instead of you know like pulling it down from my brain and bringing it into my heart and and really like thinking from my heart space as mm-hmm. opposed to my brain space but i mean i'm definitely adhd or ad you know if i were to be tested for it I, you know it would i would be primo on there and um eye contact and even like i've never said this out loud and i'm gonna say it on the podcast but like uh, I have drugs and alcohol. I've talked about that. But, like, I've had a, a bout with drugs and alcohol for a long time in my life. No longer. But um, but I, I just know it was because um, intimacy was really difficult for me. Mm-hmm. So I was, I could be, I could talk to you forever. I could look you square in the face. Like, if I had a drink, I could kiss somebody. I could make love. But I couldn't do it without the quote-unquote help of you know of a stimulant of some kind or Mm -hmm. so and I you know just drawing those connections yeah um and so so a whole different experience yes so personally of course we're going to have you know individually these issues that we can start highlighting and seeing maybe this is a factor evolutionary like Mm species-wise we have a bigger problem yes 
evolutionarily the question Dr. Michelle O'Donnell is posing. He says that after three generations of the majority of our species participating or not participating in a certain event, mm -hmm. by that fourth generation, we may evolve out of it. Right? And this is what we're talking about with birth. This is what we're talking about with birth. Yeah. If the majority of our species is receiving Pitocin at some point in their birth process, are we, now that we are at the threshold of the fourth generation to do this, Wow. are we moving out of our ability to produce oxytocin, which affects our birthing ability and affects also our connection with other people? Are we going to be able to feel that same amount of bonding and love mm. with other people? We don't know. It's huge. It's a big, big question. It is a big question. And it's question. one we need to look at. And then, and then, like Sister Morningstar said, um, endangered species. We are an endangered species, she says often. Yeah, I mean, when in like the scientific community, when a species has when the female population is struggling to birth on its own, it's considered it's an considered species. an endangered species. When you can no longer, you know, sustain your species by easily birthing yeah. the next generation, you are an endangered species. And what's so interesting too is like ours is so self-imposed. So this is something that I actually mm -hmm. don't have in my notes, but I do want to ask you. What is your relationship to pain? And what do you think, how do you think, like, or I guess it's pain and comfort. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you're asking this. Great. Roll. I have. <laughs> this is something that I share with as many people as I can. And, and I need everybody's help. I need y'all's help here. Because we need a different word in birth for pain. Ah. And here's why. Birth, and I, I write this out for people all the time. So imagine me writing this birth, an equal sign with a cross, does not equal pain. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Birth. Not equal to. Does not equal, is not equal to yeah. the word pain. Birth and pain do not go hand in hand. Pain can arise in the process of birth, but it's not normal. It is not part of the normal part of birth. And I'll tell you why. The intensity of the sensations that we feel in birth are normal. Pain is a way that our body sends a signal to our brain to say, this is not right, something's wrong, move away. Hmm. That's why birth cannot equal pain. Oh, wow. We cannot move away from it. We have to embrace it and move through it. There's no way out of it. There are ways medically out of it. But if you don't have that hospital right there, there's no way. If you're, this is another, we were going to quote Sister Morningstar all the time because yes. she's my teacher and my beautiful, wonderful mentor. Yes. And you'll have her on the podcast someday yes. as well. Yeah. Sister Morningstar will say, if you're on an island somewhere, not thinking on your own, if you're on a deserted island giving birth, you have to move through it. You have to. There's no other way around. Right. And luckily, if a person has the ability to do that, she's probably going to be a lot better off. Yeah. Then if there's people sitting here trying to mess around with her. Mm -hmm. So, it does not equal pain. Now, we need another word, right? Yeah. It's intense. The reason, I, I think the reason that it became lumped in with the word pain or the sensation of pain is the male perspective, mm -hmm. where men cannot possibly imagine what that is. And they see it or, you know, are trying to understand it. They're thinking, well, it must be like pain. Yeah. 
Um, but it's a totally another thing. It's intense. It's intense. But it's its own sensation. Yeah. So when we start using that word, then our, you know, our thoughts become our reality. Mm. So we, we think of it as pain that becomes that way. Now, now you it say that painful. again. Pain is something your brain wants you to retract from. If you feel pain, let's say you're touching something hot. You reached over to grab a hot pan. You didn't realize it was hot. Your body sends your brain a signal that says, this is dangerous. Let go and move away. That's what the pain sensation is there for. That's why we have it. Wow. That's, That's... why we have nerve endings in every part of our body mm-hmm. to protect ourselves from dangerous situations. And we call that signal pain. Oh my gosh. Birth cannot be pain because we cannot move away from it. No. And when you do, when you try. So this was one of the greatest, I just remember, and I remember you talking about it today. When pregnant mama is in labor and, and starts doing the, ah, she's going, she's retracting. I, personally remember doing that yes like floating away trying to escape trying to move away from the sensation and mm-hmm. one of my midwives tiffany yay and she goes get down here with me right come down here and i mean we and I, <laughs> oh my god it just like give like the wave of joy that i feel when i even and i can see it and i can feel it mm-hmm. and it changed everything mm-hmm. and it, and what you're saying, though, so that was me. It was pain, and then when she brought me back down, it was intensity. Yeah. But I was in it, and I was accepting it. Mm-hmm. The other, here's the thing. If we're told it's pain, it may not even be painful to right. us, but we're afraid that it's going to be. So the it's fear an of the pain mm. that people have told us about mm-hmm. is going to keep us in this, oh, moving, I've got to move away, can't, you know. But if we're just told to expect that, yeah, it's intense, yes, it's big, it's the biggest thing you'll ever do, and mm. it's going to get bigger. It's big and going to get bigger. Mm. But it's not pain. That should never be a part of the story. It should not be part of the words, yeah. And then, of course, she's going to move right into it. Right. And through it. And that's why, like, more village prenatals, mm-hmm. more more breastfeeding in public, more just making this whole process, reminding our species that this is natural, this is normal, and that we want to move through it. Yes, we do. And what's interesting... We get to move through it. We get to move through it. It's an oh, honor. it's such an honor. It's mm-hmm. such an honor to bring a human being into the world. I mean, I can't even believe that those words are coming out of my mouth. You know, it's like... I do, I want to draw a connection and I feel like you're the perfect person to do it with. But so the joy that you received, that you and your family received from living off grid and from stepping out of your cot beds and putting your feet on the dirt and living in the tent with the chickens (laughs) is similar to the joy of a natural birth in a way. Help me with this because like this is the language that I'm, this is what I'm trying to talk about on this podcast. Yeah. It's like the comfort of of your clean floor and your plush carpet and the 75 de- or 72 degrees mm-hmm. whatever that like the average American likes to live in and the you know the perfect setting of comfort on your bed and the perfect temperature of water coming into the shower and just moving through these like mm-hmm. square boxes with these set co- the comfort level it's so fucking comfortable 
it drives me nuts. Like I feel very uncomfortable in those environments. I mean, right now we're in the podcast, so you can't see, but we're in between a Dutch door with the window, you know, with the top open and a window with the screen open. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, and I feel really, I feel a lot more at ease when I can see the trees and I can smell the air and I can feel the rocks on my feet. Like to me, it's, it's instinctual. Help me. Yes. It's the instinctual (laughs) wisdom, right? Our instincts are fed when we're in nature. Yeah. We, we get back to our roots and we get back to our animal nature, mm-hmm. which is our instinctual nature. Yeah. And that's where we are in birth. That's hopefully where we go to. If we birth in our power, we're in an instinctual place. Mm-hmm. Because birth happens in our primal brain, mm-hmm. our forebrain, which is, I mean, not the forebrain, the, the, but before, the old brain. <laughs> Pre-brain. <laughs> pre-brain. That was, you know, before thinking, before verbal knowledge before that neo brain came into play mm-hmm. there was an old brain that's where our instincts still live mm-hmm. and if those instincts are intact then they protect us and help us guide us through our lives my god so that's why we do it that's why we like the windows open yes. that's why we want it right it's instinctual right <laughs> I think that's the connection you're looking for. I think it is, too. Wow, I've been, like, literally having sleepless nights over and over and over again. But that's it. I think our, it's our instincts, right? And so our instinctual nature, we've only been living in this whatever, you know, this comfort, you know, high-rise type for a very, very short period of time when we look at our the evolution of our species. So short, it's like a blip. So our instincts are not there yet. You mm-hmm. know, hopefully we don't change them to get there yeah. is my goal. So our instinctual place is in nature. That's where we feel the instinctual comfort. There's a whole different type of comfort, right? Yes. The safety that we feel when we're aligned with our instinctual nature and our in our living from that place. Ooh, perfect segue. Can you speak about heart math? Can you speak oh, about yeah. the frequency of the earth? And all that jazz. Sure. Great. Um, I'm probably not going to quote it the exact right. No need. Things. You know, you can look that up. It's a heart math. (laughs) There's a website. There's a website. But I love heart math. And I think it's so important. I think the more people that know about it and start just tuning into this, Mm -hmm. the better that we're all going to be. So heart math refers to connecting to your heart in a way that's very simple and it's very easy. Um, It starts with taking a few deep breaths from your heart. Like heart-focused breathing is what they call that. Taking a few deep breaths. As if your heart's breathing in and out. Then you connect to a feeling. A heart-quality feeling like care, compassion, kindness. So you can think about the person that you think of when you just want, you know, you, you, that warms your heart and then you just, oh, you just want to shower them with My love. bro. It's yeah. always my bro. The person with my children, you know, that you want, that you just, oh, like immediately you be like, care, love, and compassion. Yeah. You know, so you think about that and so that opens that space, so that quality up in your heart and then you literally radiate it from your body. Mm-hmm. When we do that, and it's very easy, and anybody can do it, and hopefully you all are doing it right now. Yeah, can't help it. You when can't you help talk it. When you about hear it. about it, it's like, oh, it just opens and does that. Yeah. When you do that, what heart math does is they, um, they can measure, and anybody can do this, but you can measure your heart rate. But what they're looking for is not just your pulse, the heart rate, like the difference, the distance between 
the pulses of your heart. What we're looking for is the heart rate variability. Right. And so the heart rate variability evens out when we get into this state, this very you know, easy called a heart lock-in is what they call it. Mm. So you get into the heart lock-in. You're sending radiating care and compassion. Um, for, and it can happen in just a few moments. Um, your heart immediately begins to have this evened out rhythm of heart rate variability that looks like, if you know a sine wave, that frequency that's a very smooth up and down sine wave mm-hmm. pattern instead of this kind of more jagged. And so when you get the little heart rate monitor, if you if you want to take the heart math, anybody can do heart math for free. It's all available to you for free. It's all available, and, and they're collecting this data. But if you want to take it to the next level where you, you buy their little machine and okay. you hook it to your ear and can start sending them data, mm-hmm. you know, you buy the little machine. It's no big deal. Yeah. But you can do that too. And so you can... It's so fun. When I first got it, I'm like getting it out and playing with it. I'm walking around the house and seeing what my heart rate variability is doing. Yeah. I'm sitting down and just doing a normal like reading, watching my heart rate variability. And it's very jagged. It's kind of it goes has some peaks and it goes down. It's just kind of boop, 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 you know, all yeah. over the place. As soon as you do the heart lock in it, you watch it smooth out. So when that state, when you're in that state of, of breathing and the heart lock in, it's called coherence. Mm-hmm. So when you're in a coherent state, your coherence is so coherence means a, a synchronized system, right? So you're synchronizing your brain and your heart, but also you are in the same frequency of the earth. So if the earth was measured, it, it, it often has, it, it is, they, you know, they're measuring it all the time. The, the frequency that the earth, the electromagnetic field that the earth emits, mm-hmm. looks like this beautiful, even coherent sine wave amazing so when you are coherent with your mind heart and body connecting to the earth now because the earth is the same frequency Mm -hmm. when you're in that same frequency and you're connected in that way your heart intuition is what they call it. your intuition abilities are opened Mm. and so we can maintain the states of composure in stressful times mm-hmm. is what when we practice this over time when you practice for just 10 minutes a day when you do this you just in the morning that's what I do every morning wake up I do a little bit of yoga just mm-hmm. to get my body stretched out mm-hmm. and then sit down heart lock in 10 mm-hmm. minutes watch my little sign pattern on my app and send mm-hmm. it to heart math so mm-hmm. they can have their data a day you have an effect for 24 hours of being in heart intuition connected to the earth in that way, this is the, the, this is me drawing a connection past what I think heart math is saying, but I think they're leading towards this without coming out saying it. This is telepathy. Yeah. This is how we connect to other beings. Yeah. When you see, have you ever seen a flock of birds that fly together? Oh, it's it's called a murmuration. Is it really? Yes, it's murmuration is, that yeah. is what it's called. And like starlings do this, right? So there's this huge flock of starlings in a murmuration. They make these patterns and they're all flying totally in synchronicity together. And you think, how on earth are they doing that? How do they know to shift and move, you know, mm-hmm. at the exact right time? Flocks of, of not flocks, what do they call Schools of fish do this mm-hmm. too. There's certain schools of fish that just, it, it, they're in total in sync, right? Totally they're cool. coherent. They're coherent. Their hearts together are together. Together as a species, the whole group. We can begin to learn to do this. And when we do that, we can be in coherence with each other, mm-hmm. right? And then we can have a thought and the other person can easily pick it up. And I mean, to bring it very like contemporary, 
almost millennial-ish, there are so many times when people say, when you get a text message from somebody that's like, oh, I was thinking about you. Yes. And it's because you were just talking about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is literally happening all the time. Yeah. And it's like because of smartphones, because we can just... Because we can reach out and say, hey, wait yeah. a minute. Like, you know, or, and mm-hmm. you know, like, I just remember, I feel like I remember, you know, 10 years ago, I guess, or whenever it was, think I would see something and I would, and I would think of somebody because it reminded me of them. And like, now you take a picture and you send it, mm-hmm. but like we were doing that already. Yeah. We were taking the picture with our eyes and sending it with our hearts and like they felt it. <laughs> I truly believe that there's no technology, any technology that we have, any technological capability is simply an expression of what we have the ability already. to do inside. Totally. But we're seeking that outside of us uh-huh. instead of seeking it inside. And so we develop a tool yeah. for that. Right. The internet. <laughs> yes. Wait, and so well, and we have to do this connection too because so to bring it again full cir- circle back to birth, mm-hmm. here you are in coherence mm-hmm. in your home or at a waterfall, mm-hmm. <laughs> connected to nature, connected to your instinctual being, mm-hmm in a comfort zone and you go into labor and you're beginning to go, you're beginning to transition, like, please ask yourselves, or if you're thinking about your partner, or if you're thinking about your sister, or you're thinking about your friend who's gonna, gonna, who's going to have a baby, who's going to go into birth, don't you want them to be in heart coherence? Don't you want them to be able to tap into their instinctual selves and birth their baby mm-hmm. in power, without fear, without pain, without a doubt, intensity? Mm-hmm. Because that is designed by the beautiful, by the beautiful biological magic, mm-hmm. for so many reasons, for it to be intense, yes. so that our connections to our child, are to our children, are are as of the magnitude that they are. But just imagine for a second, listeners, like allowing that woman to stay in her place, to stay in her heart coherence. Or are you going to tell her to go to the hospital? Right. And you're going to tell her, where's the wisdom? Which one has, holds the wisdom? Yeah. That's going to be actually more protective for the mama baby. Yeah for our species, for our survival. Yeah. This is something, taking it back to off-grid living. Exactly. (laughs) And birth. Yeah. This is so, I love this. This is beautiful. Mm -hmm. When we were hatching our chickens. Yeah. Yes. Our little chicken eggs. So here I am, my little midwife self, you know, we've got an incubator that Philip made out of things that he found at the dump. Okay, so nice. we, yeah, it was beautiful. I won't go into details. It was it was really awesome. It was completely free, um, mm. but a highly functioning incubator mm. because he had a little computer fan. It was all solar. Yeah, no. it was amazing. So we had the airflow. You know, we'd research it. We're like, okay, so we have our <laughs> I don't know two dozen you know eggs in there. We're turning them daily, and you're supposed to do because the mama you know trying to trying to if if we could ever replace the mother yeah what'd you have to do right (laughs) here we are trying to replace Mm -hmm. the mom so we're turning the eggs keeping them at the right temperature checking their humidity you you know using the flashlight and looking at the eggs so we can see the developing embryo inside i mean totally amazing 
But here's the thing, when it comes to birth, these, these little eggs have to hatch. They have to birth of themselves. Mm -hmm. The rule is hands off. Hands off. Don't touch. Never. Never. They, chicken farmers know if you mess with this process, it's going to be detrimental to that chick. Mm -hmm. You will lose a chicken. Yeah. If it's not right now, it's going to be a few days from now mm -hmm. because they need to move through this process without your help. Yeah, they need the, the intensity. How is every website on how to hatch a chicken know this and clearly states this, but we've lost that wisdom in our own species. It's crazy. In our own birds. Oh, I have a really cool story that I want to share with mm -hmm. you that makes, that like, so when I was in first grade, how old are you in first grade? Like six? Seven, six, seven. Six or seven, yeah. I went to an Episcopal school. Every day we started with chapel. We like processed into the church to a big, it was like a cathedral kind of. It was amazing, actually. Um, and we processed in to the organ playing music and I mean filed into the, and sat down. And I was very short, so I was like in the front of the line, always. And so I'm in the front pew. And this really incredible human, his name is Chip Bristol, and I hope he gets to listen to this podcast. He was the priest? I think that's what it's called. Yeah, he was the chaplain. He was like leading the, the services. There was a piano right in front. So I'm in the first pew, and there was a grand piano right in the front, but it was closed. He's sitting on top of it. Crisscross applesauce. <laughs> with his hands in a mudra, Whoa. with his eyes closed. Wow. I know. First grade, I remember this like it was yesterday. <sighs> and I sat and did it with him. Mm -hmm. That day, he told a story, and I remember he kind of peeked down at me and I was doing it. I'll get there, he peeked down at me. He told his whole sermon from that cross-legged seat on top of the piano. And his, and the sermon, and it was short. It was probably like a 30-minute thing. Anyway, he told this story about an old Chinese medicine man who was in his garden daily and like herbalist, you know, doing his thing and checking on everything. And he found a cocoon. Mm -hmm. And he got jazzed about the cocoon and he was like, watching it every day and was just ready for this little being to emerge from its cocoon and it happened one day you know the process began and he was watching and I mean if this was a true story the old man's seen it a million times so it's a fable clearly but either way as if he's seen it for the first time he starts having um an emotional sadness for the struggle that this tiny being is going through in its process. And he plucks it from the, the leaf and takes it inside and very carefully, like, you know, surgically tries to remove the layers of the cocoon. And so, lo and behold, like, he helps it, or what he thinks so. But he dies, you know, the, the tiny butterfly ends up dying in it within a few hours because 
the pushing of the wings against the structure, that was the only way to get the fluid to pump out to have the wings expand. Mm -hmm. And when I tell you that this story resonated with me as a six-year-old, I mean, I remember it, I remember it weekly for my entire life. Wow. And <laughs> when you think about this birth work mm -hmm. and like how that resonated with me and like the importance of, of difficulty, intensity, struggle, like it's vital. I firmly believe that we are a hardy species. Like it's, you know, it, it's pretty hard to yeah. kill us, right? If we were more fragile, like these chickens and these butterflies, you would see an immediate effect mm. if you disturb that process. Mm -hmm. But since we don't see that immediate effect, some people who are in the business of disturbing the process mm -hmm. don't see what they're, you know, we have longer term effects. Yeah. So what happens to us during birth affects us, especially if it's harmful, disruptive, traumatic, but we don't see it necessarily. We're not going to see it probably that first day. Mm -hmm. We won't see it probably that next day, but it's going to come out later on when we're one, two, three, 30. Mm -hmm. We still have effects. Deathbed. On our deathbed. If you, yeah. It which is, everything. which is the perfect red carpet for Mm -hmm. The four baskets. Four baskets is my biggest passion. Here we go. <laughs> it's what I'm on this earth to do. Mm. It's my sole purpose. The four baskets refers to the time frame of conception through six hours after birth. So everything that happens during that time frame is our primary foundation for the rest of our lives. And we will see life through the lens that is created during the four baskets. Everything we perceive, every relationship we have will be affected by what happened to us from conception through gestation, through the birth process, and the first six hours after birth. Right. So and we were really lucky <laughs> to get to do this workshop. Can you elaborate on the word conception the way yes. you did for us? That sure. was really fascinating. Yes. So conception... You know, oftentimes we refer to or we think of conception being a moment in time where egg meets sperm. Boop, that's it. <laughs> the child is conceived. And so that is true. And sometimes we refer to it as an event. So maybe it's a little bit broader, not just quite the moment, but a little bigger. It's an event. I conceived my child on vacation in Hawaii. Right? So there's an event around the conception. But the word conception, if you look it up in a dictionary, also refers to all of the beliefs and ideas that you hold around something. Mm -hmm. So you concept. say the concept, yeah. which is your beliefs and ideas, my conception of off-grid living. Mm -hmm. All the beliefs and ideas I hold around off-grid living. Mm -hmm. So I believe, so the four baskets come from ancient Vedic wisdom. Oh yeah, tell Yeah. Oh my God. So it's ancient, it's ancient Vedic wisdom is where this... It, it, it's it's cross-cultural obviously mm. it's when you know when you hear about it you know a lot of times we feel like well yeah it's like a, a duh yeah. you know yeah <laughs> what happens yeah duh we know that it's very common sense but the way that it came to me was through um, my time in India and was ancient you know it comes from this ancient Vedic term of the four baskets um 
I'm not going to go into actually the whole long story. You're not? No, not this time. Okay. Oh, yeah. It'll be in the book. It'll be in the book. (laughs) Oh, it's so epic. Oh, my God. So, yes. It'll be in the book. Okay. Well, I mean, that, yeah, it's going to be in the book. The whole thing is going to be in the book. Yeah. Like, yeah, the four baskets. So we're not going to give away the four baskets. But the first basket shot. refers to not just, so it's all three of those definitions. Right. So yes, it's the moment. Yes, it's the event. And it's also all the thoughts and ideas and feelings that we have around, around wanting to conceive a baby, trying to conceive a baby, not wanting to conceive, whatever happened before your child was conceived or before you were conceived, more importantly. Mm-hmm. So I always like to remind people, so when you're first hearing about the fourth baskets, oftentimes as women, we want to think about when we gave birth to our children. And that's wonderful and beautiful. But I encourage you to think back to when you were in the womb. Mm-hmm. What was your conception like? Mm-hmm. Because when we can shine a light on that, it affects everything else. So we start with us. Mm-hmm. And all the healing practices, mm-hmm. it's, you know, start with, start with yourself. And that's a, another interesting thing just about uh, past, you know, 100 years or maybe even just like 50 years of American culture. But, you know, being selfless mm-hmm. has been such a thing. And like self-care is really coming back around as mm-hmm. like, you know, and that analogy of like being on the airplane. And they're like, you know, your oxygen mask first before you help somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a good one to remember. That's yes. like if you're, you know, aware. Yes, yeah, so if you're aware of your own four baskets mm-hmm. and do the healing that needs to happen around that, then you can really start to yes. ripple, ripple effect the healing outward. And I am writing the book about the four baskets. And in the book will be a big focus on you when you were in the womb in your birth. But there will also be chapters on, okay, now you have children, right? Or now you're pregnant. Let's look at a pregnant woman mm. and how to help support her as she's co-creating four baskets for her child. Nice. Or now you have children because I've done this process with my children. Yeah. And so let's look at how do we, how do we help a baby, an infant, like we just did this weekend. Mm-hmm. How do we support an infant who might have some four baskets that they need to um, clean up? Mm-hmm. Or a 14-year-old or another adult, another human being. Mm-hmm. It was such a beautiful practice that we got to do with you. Um, nourish all senses. Well, do you want to elaborate more on four baskets? Do you want to go through each basket? Or we're going to do that next podcast. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, we're going to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess this Well, this would be a good place to, to kind of wrap things up. Um, A nice thing that I like to think about, and it's like whether you're thinking about having children or not, whether you have them already or not, we're all human beings um, that are listening to this podcast. Maybe some of your dogs and cats are listening too. <laughs> but, but, you know, for the gentlemen, your sperm are there. Mm-hmm. For the women, your eggs are there. And I feel like we do this epic, and we should, oh my gosh, really nourish pregnant mamas because mm-hmm. they need it. In a way, like, as a man, you're carrying around your babies. Mm-hmm. And as a woman, you're carrying around your babies. So, like, we really, in truth, we need to nourish ourselves no. all the time. <laughs> you know? And I, I remember thinking that when I was pregnant, just being like, this is amazing. Like, 
how this spotlight gets shined on. It's like, ooh, you're pregnant. Maybe you shouldn't do it. And it's like, but maybe you shouldn't do that ever, you know? Like, you know when, when there's a couple, like, uh, you know, um, golden seal or whatnot that, like, you specifically mm-hmm. can't have when you're pregnant, you know, some herbs mm-hmm. that they say not to for reasons. But, you know, but in truth, like, a focus on nourishing yourself always. So many times we hear, you know, I see that pregnant women discover how to take care of themselves during pregnancy because now they have that motivation because they're taking care of another being. And I think that's wonderful and beautiful. Yeah. But like you said, wow, what if we discovered it earlier? Yeah. Even, Even better. Because, you know, just thinking about the four baskets, we don't always know we're pregnant right away. Yeah. So what if, oh, and now all of a sudden I'm going to change some habits, but it's already into the second basket. You know, mm-hmm. that first basket's done. Yeah. So, yeah, as a midwife, I have recently started realizing I want to work with women a lot earlier. Me too. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I do. And I, so I, I, I started developing this, what I call the 13 moons mm. program, I guess, or whatever. Cool. It's like normally as a midwife, we only work with women for about nine moons yeah. because we meet them you know, while they're into their pregnancy already, they're definitely into that second basket. And then we work with them for a little while after birth. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to get a full, you know, 13 moons, oh. like a full spectrum of that childbearing year, yeah. preconception and way after, you know, mm-hmm. a lot bigger postpartum too. And yeah, and just nourish that mama. Yeah the whole process so yeah can you speak to what is it like what's self-care for you and what's well let's start with that what's self-care for you self-care for me is time you know taking my time taking time for me (laughs) can I tell you that yeah that was also what my (laughs) midwife Oh, (laughs) Kelsey, so literally she was like, I don't hurry. I don't rush. Yes. I take time. Taking time. What a beautiful commonality. Mm -hmm. It is. That's awesome. That is awesome. You sisters at heart. You are. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Time. Yeah, unhurried time, unrushed time. Letting each thing be a meditation. Mm. Because if I am, if I don't allow that, uh, I don't feel good, right? Self-care is about what do you do to make yourself feel good, Mm -hmm. to feel healthy and whole and a full expression Mm -hmm. of the light that we are. So that's the biggest, that's your number one. And then taking time, literally taking time away, like taking my time moving away. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. I I literally used to um, take three days every fall, like right about now, like this cool, crisp Mm -hmm. fall time. It's my favorite time of the year. Mm. And I would go to a little cabin in the woods and just be Mm -hmm. in silence by myself. Mm -hmm. And this was while I had young children in the home. So no longer breastfeeding, obviously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So past those breastfeeding years, um, but yeah, having two boys, you know, in the house and, and being the, the primary caretaker for them is huge mm-hmm. and it's important that we give ourselves a break from that. Yeah. And if you, if you, if you're able to, you know, I'm so privileged and blessed and fortunate to be like, okay, here's my, you know, I schedule it plenty of time in advance, take some time off work. You've got the boys for three days, mm-hmm. have fun, 
Mm-hmm. And they need that too. Yeah. This is not uh, this is not a hardship. You know, this is a blessing yeah. to give a partner or a grandparent mm-hmm. or whatever support team you have. You know, time with those precious beings. One of those phrases that I love and I feel like and I start it started to like it was through yoga teaching because we're both yoga teachers mm-hmm. originally and um if I ever thought like, oh shit, I gotta teach yoga. You just change the wording and you just say, I get to teach yoga. You can apply that to almost anything. Like, oh man, I forgot to brush my teeth. No, I go, I get to go brush my teeth. Mm -hmm. I get to turn that sink on with that running water, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like a slight perspective switch and and it can be lighter and, you know, just what a different feeling. Absolutely. And we talk about how when you... To make, in order to make something sacred, mm. it's important. You know, we, it, inherent in making something sacred is a sacrifice. We sacrifice something else in order to make our needs sacred to us. Mm. So if you take time for yourself, you're saying, that time is precious and sacred to me. I'm going to need that time. Whether it's 30 minutes or three days, you know, whatever mm. that time is for you. Time for yourself is sacred. You're sacrificing time with your family for that. Mm-hmm. But that's important, and that makes it sacred. And then you're allowing that other person to have the, the sacredness of time with them. Yeah, stepping into that room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I make it a practice to check in with myself every day. What do I need? Yeah. What do you need today, Catherine? It's so, it's so respectful. Mm-hmm. It's like self-respect. Mm-hmm. Really, it's for my self-respect. It's amazing. Is to know what you're eating in any yeah. given moment. It really is. And I just don't think that that's taught. Mm-hmm. I certainly wasn't taught that. Yeah. Um, or so, it, in fact, as women, I think we're often taught not to do that. Right. Yeah. Like, pfft. put your needs aside. Always sacrifice your needs for the other person. Right. But sometimes it's okay to flip that around. Yeah. It's necessary. So is this what you, like, would, I mean, like, yeah, this is what you would tell your listeners or, mm-hmm. like, pregnant mamas, like, this is step one, this is, or the most important thing, like, green smoothie yourself all day, but, like, if you're rushing through the world and you're not taking time for yourself, mm-hmm. all those green smoothies don't matter. That's right. <laughs> yep. And so, you know, I, I often talk about taking conscious breathing breaks. Yeah. Right? And I do this myself and so you know whatever we're ready to tell somebody else about it's important that you're doing that yourself way <laughs> first of all way yes so I take conscious breathing breaks throughout the day mm-hmm. now when I'm working with someone who this is a totally foreign concept to and maybe they're struggling with that like this you can think of the um, somebody might call it a type a personality but somebody's just go 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 all the time uh, moving you know they couldn't even possibly imagine and we're all, we've, we know these people, we've all been these people probably, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's there. Yeah. But, but it's in that time in your life, it's hard to even imagine stopping, like, uh, oh, no, 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 can't stop, you gotta, you gotta keep going. So I'll say, set the timer on your phone. Let's put this device to good work, right? Yeah. Set a timer on your phone. And even if it's just as you're looking at it, because the timer went off, you're looking to see what it was, and you're getting ready to clear it, take one breath. <sighs> yeah. That's huge for some people. Yeah. Conscious breathing break. If you take one conscious breath through the day, 
and then maybe take three the next day. Yeah, and just grow on it. Grow off, go from there. Because you'll notice a difference. You'll feel yeah. it. You'll feel how it feels good in your body. Yeah. So start where you are. You know, you don't have to go take three days in the woods right away. Right. <laughs> start the where you are. The retreat. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Start where you are. Start where One you breath are. can be a retreat. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that... I am not worried because I know we're going to have more Mm -hmm. Catherine Lightfoot on this podcast, but I think that that was really Mm. awesome and I'm, I'm ready to, Damien's cooked us some potato leek soup and yum. Yeah. They went mushrooming today. So we're, we're just lucky to be in the Pacific Northwest right now. We are. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Um, thank you so much for, (gasps) Wolfie, thank you so much for, being with us this weekend thank you so much for shedding your light on us today and um it's my honor thank you yes <laughs> in the lightfoot casita that we are deeming yes. <laughs> Catherine's casita ha! all right you. with so much love thank you aloha aloha what a fantastic conversation that was <sighs> Just remembering her being here was so incredible. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. The Honorable Catherine Lightfoot. Um, just such a such a joy, such an incredible force um, of love and strength. And just love that woman. So love you, Catherine. Thank you. And um, yeah. I'm not sure who's up next um, on the show. I've got a couple of um, episodes that are that are previously recorded, and um, just reaching out to some people to see, um, you know, which which episode is going to serve us best next. But um, we're chugging along, so I hope you're digging on Rain Studios podcast, and uh, feel free to reach out to me through Instagram or uh, my email, and uh, if you have any questions, and same thing, um, Catherine Lightfoot, you know, um, she's got lightfootbirth.com, and she is on Facebook. Um, and you know, just human connection, human interaction is really important still in this time of coronavirus and isolation and all. So if you've got questions, if you're, um, needing some help or guidance, feel free to reach out and, um, you know, due to, to volume, um, we may or may not get to you, but, um, we'd love to hear from you and we will try our best to, uh, to be able to respond and hold space for your questions. Um, about any of it, you know, about home birth, about natural birth, about midwifery, um, becoming your intuitive and instinctual self, off-grid living. Uh, There's all kinds of stuff that um, we can be of service to and help guide you in um, some of these practices in your own lives. So thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you're digging on the Rain Studios podcast. I know I am. And thanks so much, Christiana Dancer at Dancer Voice Productions for making this show possible. Um, Thank you to all the guests who have been on the show. Thank you to Damien and Wolfie for your uh, unwavering, loving support in my life. And thanks to my MIT, my midwife study group. You guys, I miss y'all so much. Uh, We usually come over to my house or uh, somebody's house um, weekly to study midwifery and we haven't been able to do that for a while, so I know everyone is is uh, dealing with this isolation differently, but I hope the podcast is helping. 
All right. See you next week.